example, those of you of an age to have gone to Saturday morning pictures at some point would know that there was a serial all the time. And at the end of each episode, you'll say, come back for next week's thrilling installment. Well, we've got that sort of in the readings um, through Lent in the lectionary. Except for the first Sunday, because you've, you've got to get the temptations in the wilderness in at some point. It's a set of readings in John of, John meeting, of Jesus meeting with people. And it started off um, on Ash Wednesday with Jesus meeting the woman who was taken in adultery. Last week, we had Jesus meeting Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, the, the Pharisee who came by night. Here we've got the woman at the well in Samaria next week, but it's Mothering Sunday, so probably things won't be quite the same. Um, it's the man born blind. And the week after that, it's the raising of Lazarus. And then we're into Holy Week. So, last week we had a confused traditionalist who'd been challenged to think differently but ended up still confused at the end of it. He didn't know quite what to make of this person, Jesus. But Nicodemus reappears later in the Gospels. In the Council of the Sanhedrin, he defends Jesus and says, you can't condemn a man to death until you've heard what he has to say. And then finally, uh, when he's died, he turns up at the tomb with Joseph of Arimathea bearing a whole load of... Um, of spices to anoint the body of Jesus. So something progressed through Nicodemus's life. Here we don't have a confused traditionalist. Uh, we've got effective, uh, a woman from a despised community. The Jews really loathe the Samaritans. They loathe them more than Gentiles. It's a bit like the sort of stupid situation um, you can get in Christian circles that you dislike people of another denomination more than you dislike a Muslim or a, or a Jew or a Hindu or something. It's because they're actually sufficiently similar, but they don't do the right things. And a Samaritan, um, all they've got is the first five books of the Bible. That's all they, they that's their scriptures, uh, what, they, what we call the Pentateuch, uh, from Genesis to Numbers. And they had a temple on Mount Gerizim, which um, by the time this gospel was written, had been destroyed, but also by the time this gospel had written, probably the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed as well. But the worship they had wasn't quite right, and they had other gods and other things to set up and worship, and so it horrified uh, the Jewish, correct Jewish establishment, and so they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritan. And although Jesus was on his way back to Galilee at this point, and he'd gone through Samaria, a lot of um, active um, observant Jews would do their best not to actually go through and make quite a detour, not to have to go through Samaria. And we have the contrast between the two weeks, between Nicodemus coming by night and this woman at noontide in the day in the bright sunlight, between a man who was so socially incredibly respectable, Nicodemus, and a woman who was a social outcast, and we'll come, come on to that in a moment between a man coming by night and a woman coming by day, somebody hesitant and confused at the end of it, a woman with impulsive commitment at the end of this. But in both of them, the text is encouraging us to think differently about water and about the Holy Spirit.
So, there's this woman at the well, and Jesus has turned up. The disciples have gone to find food. Jesus made some excuse and said, look, I want to rest, so I'm going to go, I'm going to, go, to, a, uh, go to the well, uh, Jacob's well, and I'm going to sit there, and you can come and find me there when you've got the food. And there was a woman who'd come to draw water. You don't draw water at noontide unless something serious has happened, or unless the other women in the city who would go to draw water either at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day when it was cooler, that they didn't want her company. She was unclean. Not only was she a divorcee, she'd had five husbands and she was now living with somebody she wasn't married to. This was not somebody who you wanted to be seen in her company. She knew that and it was actually simpler from her point of view to come at a time when she reckoned nobody would be there. They had shamed her, and she had to carry that shame herself. Somebody who people didn't want to talk to. This conversation, by the way, breaks all the rules. It breaks the rules on Jesus' side as well. And on a Jewish male probably wouldn't talk to a woman, another Jewish woman who he didn't know, let alone a Samaritan woman. And yet Jesus starts the conversation. Innocent enough. Could you give me a drink, please? So the conversation starts from there. The woman responds and says, well, what's going on here? Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Why are you asking me for a drink? Well, said Jesus, if you actually knew who I was, I would give you a drink of living water, much better than the water from the well. Ah, oh, he said. But you haven't got a bucket, and the well's deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? There are no streams or rivers around here. All we've got is the well. And what's more, it was given to us uh, by our father Jacob. Um, no, says Jesus. Everyone who drinks of this water from the well will be thirsty again. But the water that I could give you is living water, and it will be a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. At which point, probably, her mind was thinking, now, either this chap's completely nuts, or there's something about what he's saying which is ringing a few bells slightly. There might be something in this. Now, as a Samaritan woman, she wouldn't know all the, uh, the bits in the prophetic literature about water, that God's going to give a gift of water, particularly in the later chapters of Isaiah. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and drink. Come and buy without price. Part of the promise to God for his people later was tied around water, but it was going to be free and it was going to be always refreshing. And the river that runs out of the new Jerusalem is the water of life, fresh, running, beautiful water. She would have heard, possibly, that the Jews believed this sort of thing. And so she thinks, okay, well, give me this water. Give me this water so I can never be thirsty. Got the wrong end of the stick slightly. But she asked Jesus, go further, please. 
And then that Jesus makes an abrupt turn, really, to the whole conversation. Well, he said, can you go and fetch your husband and come back with him? Um, uh, that's going to be a little bit difficult. Um, I haven't got a husband. No, says Jesus. You've had five. And the one you're with now, you're not married to. Imagine how the, the woman's reaction to this. You're clearly a prophet. How has she managed to have five husbands? Well, they could have all died. That's most unlikely. What's more likely is she's been divorced several times. That she's been a woman who's been taken up by various men in her community, used and discarded. And the one who's actually got her at the moment doesn't want to marry her. But he's happy to have somebody to do the cooking and sort his life out for him. She's been used, she's been abused, and she's been shamed. But suddenly, actually, frequently, when people in that position, and it may have happened to you at times, when somebody's put the finger on a very sensitive spot, because what she could see coming here, if he knows that much about me, he knows everything about me, um, let's deflect the question into safer territory. Um, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that people should worship in Jerusalem. It's a typical ploy, actually, of people wanting to, to deflect the question. Oh, um, well, I used to go to church um, years and years ago, um, but then I fell out, we fell out with the vicar's wife, so I stopped going and then we moved away, and I've never sort of got back to it again. Or um, I used to go to church when I was younger, then we moved house, and there were several choices, and somehow we never got round to doing it again, but that's where we are, and we're fairly happy with that. Or my father was a Roman Catholic, and my mother was a Baptist, and so I was brought up really thoroughly confused, um, and they said, well, you can choose for yourself when you're a bit older, um, but I just get a bit confused. Or it's not that I don't worship and I don't pray, it's just I find I'm closer to God in a garden than anywhere on earth. I don't really feel the need to be belong to a Christian community of any sort. And that's what this woman is doing. She's dodging the question. And Jesus comes back at her because in the dodging of the question, she says, at the end of it, Sorry, she's got several sort of ones. Where do you worship? On this mountain or in Jerusalem? Um, and Jesus says, the time's coming when it won't matter between here or Jerusalem. God is spirit and you will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so her final one, really, a bit like the person who says, oh, well, I'm closer to God in a garden than anywhere on earth. It's, it's kicking the can down the road, we call it. Oh, well, I know that at some point the Messiah will come and everything will get sorted out then. Isn't it wonderful? Yes, says Jesus. That's me. Now, we don't know what else 
was said. There must have been a bit more said at various times. But she decides to leave her water pot behind, which actually is rather silly, rushes back to the village and says to them, I found somebody who's told me everything I ever did. Is this the Messiah? And you can imagine with a woman with that sort of background, people hearing, um, who told me everything I ever did, some people were thinking, well, that'd be some story, wouldn't it? Um, sort of, um, but she was clearly changed, completely changed. It's interesting that actually all this takes place at a well, at Jacob's well. And John's initial, initial Jewish readers to this would recognize the symbolism behind it because marriage and wells are important in the Old Testament. And actually, the Samaritan woman should know it as well because it's all in the Pentateuch. It's all in the first five books um, of the Bible because the servant is sent to find a husband for Isaac and finds Rebecca at the well. Jacob meets Rachel at the well. Moses meets his wife's future wife Zipporah at the well. There's marriage and wells, meeting at wells seems to go together in the Old Testament. And yet, having talked about marriage and talked with her about marriage and the fact that she's had five husbands and one that isn't the husband anyway, also in her mind and also in the mind of others is the belief that the people who've gone away from the worship of the true God, and this is not just the Samaritans, this is actually the whole Jewish nation at various times. It's there again and again in the prophets. It's described as committing adultery with, foreign, with other gods. You have broken your marriage vows. You've rejected the God who has come to redeem you and save you. The, and so the picture would have been, oh, that's interesting. Well, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and the breath of God in a minute. We seem to have a breath of wind come in at uh, present as well. And yet what would come over to this woman was despite all my background, despite my shame, first of all, this man knows everything. And if he knows everything about my marriage situation, he knows everything about everything. And yet he still wants to talk to me. And yet he still welcomes me. I've never met anybody like this before. And so back she goes, the transformed life of this woman brings the people, the others in her village, out to the world to see what she's seen. And they hear what Jesus has to say and ask him to come and stay with them. Now, what the disciples made of all this, I have no idea. Probably shock and horror. First of all, that Jesus was talking to a woman without a chaperone present or and talking to a woman anyway, let alone a Samaritan woman. But also, saying that Samaritans belong in this new kingdom, this new way of life, this new life that Jesus was offering. And it's a life to be lived in spirit and in truth. This was going to cause problems. This would have caused problems at the time. And it causes problems for the church in the early days. How do you welcome the Gentiles into the church? In more contemporary times, 
it's still within the memory of some of us here when those who were divorced felt that they couldn't take communion. In the Roman Catholic Church, that's still the situation. That people are shamed because of their marital status. That the radical idea that women might be ordained, that shook the foundations a bit as well. But so did slavery and the church's opposition to slavery. Because it wasn't all the church that signed up to that. Some people were very much against it. Same-sex marriage we've now got and blessing same-sex relationships. John's Gospel encourages us to think differently. And it's the disruptive Jesus that we see in these conversations. But what it leaves us with at the end here is a woman who has been shamed and neglected and abused all her life, rejoicing in a newfound life with somebody who treats her not only as a human being, but as a child of God. And that's you, and that's me as well. There's a children's chorus which um, used to sing in my youth. I don't think I am going to try and sing it to you at the moment. Uh, you bear you bear enough problems. But I think Ian knows what I'm going to say, don't you? Yes, he does indeed. I'm feeding on the living bread, I'm drinking at the fountainhead, and whoso drinketh, Jesus said, shall never, never thirst again. What? Never thirst again? No, never thirst again. What? Never thirst again? No, never thirst again. And whoso drinketh, Jesus said, shall never, never thirst again. We will feed on the living bread and on the wine here this morning. But those who drink of the living water will never thirst again. Come to the one who will accept you exactly as you are. Amen.